Coming up on the Shelley Irwin Show podcast this morning, it's a progressive conservative summit at the Howenstein Center for Presidential Studies. We have the details. Gerald R. Ford Museum welcomes the director of the Free Enterprise Center at Concordia University. Rachel Ferguson joins us. Broadway Grand Rapids has released their 2024-2025 lineup, including Mamma Mia. We get the details. Genetic testing can support the future of the family. We talked today with Michael Black about how that is possible. And have you ever thought about being a race director? Well, you can read the book Race Directing from A to Z, written by local race director Ron Knoll. We talk to Ron. Next guests in the house. You want to learn how we can walk in the footsteps of the founders? Well, then pay attention and attend uh, all day, all afternoon, if you can. It's a progressive conservative summit. The Howenstein Center for Presidential Studies presents this conversation to the future of constitutional reform tonight. We talk about this Common Ground Initiative event with you, Kaylor Sweeney, on behalf of the Center. Good morning to you, Kaylor. Good morning, Shelley. And you, Jeffrey Rosen. Welcome back, CEO of the National Constitution Center and more. Hello to you, Jeffrey. Great to be back in Grand Rapids. Yay, appreciate you. You've written a book or two. I have. Yes, yes. What's your latest? The Pursuit of Happiness, How Classical Writers on Virtue Inspire the Lives of the Founders and Defined America. I can't wait to talk about it here. Good. We'll talk about it. Uh, guests uh, may uh, very well walk out with a copy and, of course, support your local book store to do just that as well. Kaylor, would you set the scene for today, please? Absolutely. So this is our annual Progressive Conservative Summit where we welcome community members, students from Grand Valley, all around the community to come in. Um, and do a deep dive on a topic that we think is really crucial. So this year is all about constitutional reform. Um, as we hear more and more talk about what would it take to amend the Constitution for different um, political agendas to, to get what they, what they like, um, we want citizens to feel empowered in understanding how you can assess that um, and make sense of this, this call for amending the Constitution. And you bring in Jeffrey for a, an afternoon lunch, uh, perhaps a workshop to a student or two, and then uh, for this evening? Absolutely. So this, uh, the event kicks off at 1130 and we'll go until the evening. So we start with a luncheon. Um, this is free and open to the public and we still have spots available. So we'd love to have you join us. If you're not sure we're going to have for lunch today, um, come on in um, where Jeff will be speaking about his book. Um, and we will also receive a free copy of the book if you attend the luncheon. Um, we go into a proposed amendment workshop. This is a participatory educational experience where we welcome, uh, we're going to have poli-sci students from the university presenting a variety of proposed amendments, and we're going to give our attendees the opportunity to interact with that. We keep you busy, Jeffrey. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> as, as your request is. Oh, let's take apart your resume just a bit. Tell us about the National Constitution Center. The National Constitution Center is the only institution in America chartered by Congress to increase awareness and understanding of the Constitution among the American people on a nonpartisan basis. I always recite that mission statement at the beginning of our podcast and programs because it's so inspiring in this polarized time to bring together liberals and conservatives to explore this great document of human freedom that unites us. There's an online website called uh, the Interactive Constitution that's gotten 70 million hits since we launched. It's now among the most Googled constitution in the world. And there you can find podcasts, um, uh, essays by scholars of all perspectives, a Constitution 101 class that we're pushing out to middle and high school kids, and amazing primary source documents so that you can read these great texts yourself and make up your own mind. It is so meaningful, and we're really glad to be here in Grand Rapids where we're going to be 
modeling our National Constitution Center across America, showing how people can explore the American idea. We're going to come back in May and have a great program, and we're so excited to be here in Grand Rapids. Thank you for that. Uh, hence, hence, when you were invited to be part of a, a progressive conservative summit, uh, constitutional reform, uh, you probably said, yes, that's in my wheelhouse. Well, it's, this is jumping off of a really meaningful project that the Constitution Center did where we convened progressive libertarian and conservative scholars to draft a constitution from scratch. It just blew our minds that in just a week of Zoom deliberation, they were able to agree on five amendments to the Constitution. Can you imagine in this polarized time? And here at, in Grand Rapids, the students are going to debate some of those amendments and decide whether or not they want to adopt them. Nice. I could be blunt and just ask the question... Uh, how will we ever get over this polarization? Well, through education. It is urgently important that everyone in America commit to this project of learning about our founding principles, democracy, liberty, equality, separation of powers, the rule of law, the Bill of Rights. What unites us is the text of this Constitution itself, this inspiring document of freedom that's designed to help us uh, adjudicate our uh, differences. The Constitution is made for people of fundamentally differing points of view, and it's so inspiring that with free online materials like the National Constitution Center is offering, we really have the ability to educate lifelong learners in a meaningful way. Yes, let's take a half a step back into history. My notes tell me a reminder in 1787, 55 Americans gathered in Philly for the Constitutional Convention. Uh, uh, a date do we should always remember? Well, we certainly should. What a a uh, remarkable day, September 17, 1787, was when the Constitution was proposed. We're coming up on the 250th anniversary of the Constitution in 2037. And, of course, in two years, we have the 250th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. And let's all use this incredibly important anniversary to recommit ourselves to curiosity about those founding principles of liberty, equality, and democracy. Let's learn about uh, the history that inspired them and think about how it applies in our lives today. I'm doing the math on 2020, 2037. We'll still be here. Might be a little, might have a few more gray hairs, but we'll be here on the Constitution. We'll be here, and we've got to keep it. Remember, Ben Franklin, a republic if you can keep it, and that's so important for citizens to remember. Appreciate you. Uh, the Constitution has been amended 27 times. It sure has. That last amendment was originally proposed uh, in 1789. It went fallow. And then a student saw that most states had ratified it. He said there are just two more states necessary for ratification. His teacher failed him on his paper because he thought it was a silly idea. But then those two states ratified. The archivist certified it. And that's our 27th Amendment. It's Jeffrey Rosen with us, CEO of the National Constitution Center, your speaker and leader for uh, this afternoon and this evening's events on behalf of the Howenstein Center for Presidential Studies. And of course, Kayla Sweeney with us on behalf of the center. Uh, your passion is evidence and is your happiness. Tell us about the pursuit of happiness. I'm so excited to share this project. Yes. During COVID, I set out to read the books on Thomas Jefferson's reading list that he said inspired his understanding of the pursuit of happiness. I've had a great education, but I miss these books of moral philosophy. Cicero, Seneca, Epictetus, Stoics, and Enlightenment philosophers like Hutchison and Bolingbroke and Hume. And what I found came as a revelation. For the founders and the ancient philosophers, happiness wasn't 
feeling good, it was being good. It was not the pursuit of pleasure, but the pursuit of virtue. And for the ancients, virtue meant self-mastery, self-control, self-improvement, character improvement, well-being, being your best self. All of these ideas of self-government that the founders thought were necessary for political self-government. This It was really changed the way I thought about being a person and a good good person and a good citizen. It, it's, it's so remarkable how central this was to the founders' understanding of how to lead a purpose-driven life, and it's very inspiring to resurrect this wisdom and talk about it and share it with the world. Yes, and of course, uh, much praise to your book uh, from you finding a gap in uh, uh, education that we all have. It's a fast-paced romp through early American political thought, an entertaining window on the American founders' reading lives, as you are mentioning, and of course, uh, uh, anything that has to do with uh, well, being happy, uh, uh, is great how classical writers on virtue inspired the lives of the founders and defined America, your tagline. And again, uh, Jeffrey, how do you envision, let's zone in on tonight, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll address the audience? Uh, at lunch, and I do hope folks will come if you're free. It's going to be a great talk. I'll, I'll talk about the pursuit of happiness and share some of these wonderful books. And then tonight, we're going to assemble two great scholars, uh, Elon Worman from Team Conservative and Carolyn Fredrickson from Team Progressive, to talk about that project I mentioned about uh, agreeing on amendments to the Constitution, and we'll see if the audience wants to adopt them as well. Well, most likely, uh, whatever you ask, we, we will hope to do here in West <laughs> Michigan. Definitely Guns not. That would be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you do for fun? Uh, I started writing songs recently. <laughs> Well, if you sang them, I'd say... No, no. Okay. <laughs> I'd be off the show quickly, but I, it's fun for me. Jeffrey Rosen, how do we find out more about your work? Constitutioncenter.org. Check it out. Go to the Interactive Constitution. Pick a provision that you don't know about. Read the arguments on all sides and make up your own mind. Thank you. See you this afternoon and tonight. Kaylor Sweeney, on behalf of the Howenstein Center, details one more time, please. Absolutely. So we've got a variety of opportunities to join us today, starting at lunch at 1130. If lunch doesn't work, we hope you'll join us at 5 o'clock for a reception that's free and open to the Republic, going to our 6 o'clock panel dialogue in the evening. Um, For more information about the event, you can visit the Howenstein Center's website, gvsu.edu forward slash hc forward slash events. Again, the book, The Pursuit of Happiness. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. very busy night. The Gerald R. Ford Museum welcomes the director of the Free Enterprise Center at Concordia University, Rachel Ferguson, in the house. She leads a national network that engages in the questions of liberty and virtue, and she is an author to boot. Glad that you are here, Rachel. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, gentlemen, uh, Pryor, uh, we're, praise, we're praising you. The only issue is uh, both of your events are tonight, so we're going to have to go back and forth. Uh, terrible. I wish I could be at his talk. It sounds so interesting. Well, can you Zoom while, you know, uh, while you're doing your <laughs> while thing? While speaking uh, myself, I can't find locate, unfortunately. Well, uh, we put the attention to you for sure. The Gerald R. Ford Presidential Foundation, of course, strong in our own backyard. Tell me about Rachel Ferguson. Well, uh, as you said, I'm the director of the Free Enterprise Center at Concordia University of Chicago, and I'm actually a philosopher. I think about political and economic philosophy, and uh, that led me to write this book, Black Liberation Through the Marketplace, where I apply the classical liberal political philosophy to black American history. Uh, classical liberalism is a is a term people don't necessarily know, but it really just means limited government and individual freedom. It's the philosophy of our founders. And so I ask, how can that uh, lens help us understand our history of racial discrimination? Yes. 
tonight. Public program does begin at 6.30, Gerald R. Ford Presidential Museum for sure. Um, this obviously uh, uh, is important to you. Uh, tell me more about the title, Black Liberation Through the Marketplace. Yeah, so what we're looking at is the ways that black Americans were excluded from the institutions that give you economic flourishing, uh, private property rights, uh, contract rights, equal protection of the rule of just laws, all those those fundamental things that, that stop you from being able to build your businesses, build your life up. And yet, in many ways, we're able to overcome those challenges in amazing ways through the black church, through the Na uh, National Negro Business League, fraternal associations, incredible civil society, thick institutions, uh, and, and just do amazing things in American history. And your tagline, tagline digs even deeper, hope, heartbreak, and the promise of America. Yeah, I think that a uh, struggle that we're having right now is, do we want to talk about the painful things in our history of racial discrimination, or do we just want to talk about the positive? And what we say in the book is, you absolutely have to do both. It's hope and it's heartbreak, right? Every story of overcoming is also a story of our history of oppression, and we just have to tell the truth. Uh, the really helpful thing about that is if you're a classical liberal, what you see is you can demonstrate the value of our commitments to things like private property, contract rights, and the equal protection of the rule of just laws by showing what happens when you violate those commitments, right? When you exclude people from those protections. We make our, all of ourselves poorer when we exclude people from being able to participate in the economy. Yes. So again, Black Liberation Through the Marketplace. I like your front cover. How'd you do some of your research? Where did you go? Who'd you talk to? Well, we did a lot of reading, <laughs> mostly. Um, and so one of the most exciting uh, things that we did was not only look at great classical liberal scholars like Robert Higgs and Gary Becker, um, but we also looked at great black scholars. Um, you know, the black church tradition looms very large in the book. And, um, uh, you know, economists who are thinking deeply about the way that you have to pay to be prejudiced, right? If, if you want to exclude certain people from your possible employees, you're going to have to pay the others more, right? And so there's ways in which uh, economic interests can push against racism in a really positive way. And the only way to stop that from working is to collude with the government, right? To keep people out. And that's a lot of the history of Black America. So we want to hold the state to account for the role that it played in excluding uh, in, in excluding black people. It uh, looks like uh, from uh, uh, your descriptor, uh, readers will come away with a better understanding of black history and creative ideas for how to make this nation truly one with liberty and justice for all. What's a creative idea? Uh, one of the biggest ideas we talk about is economic freedom. And so uh, many times we think we have to do something with the government to help people, when in fact what we often need to do is get out of their way. So, for instance, in many states, you have to have a license to sell flowers. You have to go to cosmetology school to braid hair. You have to have a high school degree to be a barber. Why? <laughs> you don't need to do any of those things to do a good job uh, in those professions. And so how can we remove the barriers so that we're not stopping people from succeeding and giving them tons of hoops to jump through? Uh, we talk about educational freedom. We talk about sensible criminal justice reform. And then finally, neighborhood stabilization. How can we do charity in such a way that we encourage people to be independent and self-sustaining as opposed to being dependent on ourselves? It's Rachel Ferguson, again, author and more, Black Liberation Through the Marketplace, the presentation tonight. 
course, Gerald R. Ford Presidential Foundation uh, presenting, held at the Presidential Museum. What do you think of the, um, have you been able to get to the museum yet? I haven't been there yet. I'm going to be there this afternoon. I'm very excited to see it. And I want to give a huge shout out to Gerald Ford as the president who recognized Black History Month and Black History Week. Uh, he was the first one. So that's kind of a, a cool little aspect there. So he, it's called the, the, the Ford Foundation Gets Timely. Yeah, with that's that, right. <laughs> it's a per- perfect match for my book topic. Yes. How will tonight work specifically? What will we see from you? I've got a little cocktail party with some of the supporters of the foundation. Uh, And then I'll just be giving my general book talk where where I'll walk you through the various chapters, really starting with the debate over whether or not slavery and capitalism go together, uh, right? And then all the way through the black church, through uh, housing, highways, all of the ways in which uh, we sort of violated black Americans' property rights and contract rights. And then uh, what we can do to move forward, as I said, educational freedom, economic freedom, criminal justice reform, and neighborhood stabilization. Takeaways important. Will one of the uh, discussion questions be, if we face America's racial history squarely, will it mean that the American project is a failure? Yeah, I I imagine that we might see someone ask that question. Um, We certainly see a lot of that um, idea on the left, that we sort of need to give up on what the founders had in mind. And what we're arguing in the book is actually the history of black America was a violation of the American project. It was a failure. It was all it could have doomed, actually, the American project. And many of the founders knew that and knew that it had to be resolved. Uh, And the fact that it was resolved means that we can move forward. I think black Americans want to be a part of the American project. They want to be included in our economy fully. Uh, They don't want to give up on the American project. And so I don't think that the far left actually represents black America very well. When they make that argument, uh, I think most black Americans are very entrepreneurial. Uh, they're the most centrist, uh, one of the most centrist demographics in the United States, one of the most deeply religious demographics in the United States. There's a lot of things about black Americans that aren't well represented by far left academics. Yeah. Ask this question to Mr. Rosen, and I'll ask it to you, Ms. Ferguson. What do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? <laughs> Oh, gosh, I like South Korean dramas. Uh, <laughs> but like a silly philosopher, uh, I do I do actually love to sit around and talk about uh, God meaning, you know, life, what it's all about, and particularly with my 18 and 19-year-old sons. There we are. That makes you human. <laughs> we see you tonight and obviously throughout the day. Uh, our information, 38foundation.org. We will present again tonight, 6.30 p.m. at the museum. Where do we find out more about you? Uh, You can find me at Concordia Chicago's website. I'm also on X uh, or Twitter at uh, Liberty Ethics is my tag there. And certainly link in with me. Uh, I can do Facebook, all of it. Great. In these times, probably a must. Rachel, enjoy your time here. Thank you so much. I'm happy to have been here. Broadway Grand Rapids has released their 2025 and actually 2024 and 2025 lineup. Don't forget about this year. Includes Mama Mia returning. Let's share a two-part conversation. The first today, the second tomorrow. We'll speak with actors today, Emily Croft, about the behind-the-scenes experience and the importance of bringing Broadway beyond NYC. Emily Croft, cast member from Mama Mia, the national tour. Who is Emily Croft? Who is she? Oh, no. <laughs> I need you get to talk about you Is first. Me? 
No, uh, I am from upstate New York. I'm based out of New York City. I live with my husband and our dog, Julie Andawoos. I always like to brag about her name because it's very, it's just very me. Um, and um, I've been a performer for just over 10 years, a professional performer for over 10 years, been singing since I was a wee baby. Um, and I love that I get to do what I love for my life. It's a... Uh, my greatest joy, I would say. Um, yeah, and I'm part of the Mamma Mia cast, traveling around the country, which has been a blast so far. And yeah, we're having a great time. And I'm here in Grand Rapids, hanging out and singing some songs and helping to um, announce their new season for 24-25. What did you share with this West Michigan audience? I did Winner Takes It All, which is a song that Donna sings. Um, it's kind of the 11 o'clock number of the uh, second act. Um, she you know, is kind of in the heightened emotional state of she has um, this man, Sam, who's come to the island along with two other potential dads for her daughter, Sophie, um, you know, coming in and badgering her and like, what what are you doing? Like this, your daughter, we want to be here for her and walk her down the aisle. Like, What's going on? And she just gets to the end of her rope and she just says, I don't want to talk. And she sings, winner takes it all about how she's lived this life and nobody gets to come in and tell her how to do it. And I think the audience, I'll speak for the audience, we felt that from your performance, even with with that. And then your character is? I'm in the ensemble, and then I cover, I'm an understudy for two of the Dynamos, uh, Donna and Rosie, one of her friends. You know that song. Will you be involved when Mamma Mia is here in West Michigan? Will you be coming back? The year for our contracts will have been up. I'm still deciding whether I will stay on with the production. I would love to because I have a great, I love to do it every night. But, you know, you never know what life's going to throw at you. So hopefully, but we'll see. You might get another dog. Hey, that could that dog. could win it, fix everything. Describe what a reveal of a season means to an audience. I guess speak for yourself and Megan and and um, what's his name, Bob, 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 and Bob. Sure. I mean, for national tours, I think what's so special about them is that we get to travel the country and bring Broadway to people who can't necessarily afford or have the time to get over to New York City where Broadway lives. Um, And I think, especially for those people to have a season announced, you know, they're hearing, they're seeing all these shows on social media and, uh, you know, everyone's seen Hamilton on Disney Plus and things like that. To see that there and want to see it live, I think the excitement of getting, of having those shows that they love and they want to see so badly be announced, I think that feeling is probably just the best um, to have those shows that you love come to where you are. Um, yeah, I think that's so exciting. Nice. I ask this question every time I get to speak to you professionals. How much does the audience matter? I think for a show like Mamma Mia, we find that they do they do matter quite a bit. You know, um, it, it has its highs and lows. And to have an audience be right there with you is so incredibly important. You know, there's there's scenes like when the Dynamos sing Cheeky Tita and Dancing Queen. And I know those are like songs that people absolutely fall in love with. So for them to really show that love and excitement is really important to us and really just hypes us up and gets us even more excited to share what we have with them. And I'm leading the question, how much does a standing ovation matter? Oh, I mean, 
Actually, what's funny is that my dad, when I when I call my parents after the show, my dad will ask every single night, did you get a standing ovation? And I'm very lucky to be able to say, yes, we do, every single night. And it feels incredible. And, you know, I think it's an audience telling you that you you did a good job. You brought us some real joy tonight. And so to me, it, it means a lot. And I don't take it lightly, I would say. And lastly, Broadway Grand Rapids is known for providing uh, uh, shows for all audiences. Talk about this need for and necessity for inclusion. I think it's probably the most important thing that uh, we have right now. I'm very proud to say that the Mamma Mia cast is a very inclusive cast. Um, we have people from all sorts of backgrounds, and I love being able to perform with an entire cast of people who the audience can look up and see themselves on stage and in any show. I think that is so important um, because, you know, depending on where you are, you might not have a lot of diversity in in your town, like wherever that may be. And to see people come to your town and look like you, and uh, I think that's just probably just life-changing for some people. Well, again, from Mamma Mia to Hamilton to Clue to more, we'll give that line up. Uh, why come see Mamma Mia? Why come see that show? Absolutely. I think it is the perfect show to come in and forget all your troubles, forget all your cares. You know, it's the music is it both takes you back and is timeless at the same time. I mean, these songs go viral on TikTok. A new one goes viral every week. And I think that people just are it's a it's a show of celebration and i think it's so important for people to be able to step out of their lives and be able to feel that celebration feel that joy and just be able to dance in their seats with us i think you know with with the world the way it is there's no better show than mamma mia to get you dancing <laughs> and don't give it away but i bet we'll be dancing with a reprise or some type maybe of maybe a little a little mega mix action in there some jumpsuits might show up who's to say nice. tell us how we found out more about you sure i have a website it's www.emily-croft.com and i'm very active on my instagram which is at emler <laughs> at e-m-l-u-r-r-r Break a leg. Best of luck to you and hello to your husband and dog. Thank you so much. Genetic genetic testing can support the future of your family. So says my next guest and his team. Michael Black is vice chair of the board at Tess Research Foundation. It's good to research. Let's learn how family testing has played a huge role in transforming the health journey. Well, of a newborn, we start early. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Shelley. How are you? Doing fine. Tell me about the work of the Tess Research Foundation to uh, to uh, present your foundation of credibility. Sure, yeah. So the Test Research Foundation, it's a, a foundation that's found to improve the lives of those affected by SLC 13A5 epilepsy, a new, incredibly rare form of, uh, of epilepsy and, and a genetic disorder. Um, they, they have a huge community, or actually a small community, but a hugely important community uh, that uh, supports everyone affected by it. But more than that, it's about increasing awareness about the rare disorder. It's about uh, funding cutting-edge research to better understand and treat the 
disorder and ultimately the hope of one day curing the uh, the disorder. So I'm, I'm proud to serve on the board of the foundation. Thanks for that. You want to get right into sharing a story about Rowan and how this uh, relates to our conversation? Yeah, for sure. So my son Rowan was born uh, June of 2021. You know, delivery went perfectly. And at the start, it was just it was a dream come true. We recovered in the hospital as they did a little bit of additional monitoring of, uh, of him. After 18 hours and a, a little bit of an investigation into a couple of concerning things that they were noticing that weren't clearing up, our world completely changed. Rowan was having basically nonstop seizures. So we're talking about two minute long seizures, but they're two minutes between them. So they're basically back to back and they weren't responding well to medication. So you can imagine for a brand new father, this was, this is heartbreaking. Mm. So um, from a clinical perspective, we, we, we went down to a children's hospital here in Ontario. That first couple of days, they were just about breaking the, uh, the nonstop seizures. And thankfully they were able to do that. After that though, uh, his medical team had to figure out why he was having these seizures. So was it bacteria? Was it a virus? Was it metabolic? Was it uh, vitamin deficiency? And eventually, they turned their spotlight to genetics. We got a, a genetic test for Rowan that suggested he had a rare genetic disorder, this one that's called SLC13A5 citrate transporter disorder. Oh. This then, uh, I mean, this is all talking about your experience with, uh, with genetic testing and how it impacted your family, yes? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So at that was the initial test. It was yeah. just kind of a, a hint. Hey, here's where to look. So subsequently, my wife, Amber, and I, we underwent our own genetic testing through Invitae uh, that, that got us a definitive diagnosis that Rowan had this disorder. And, you know, that, that test, that diagnosis, it completely changed our life for the better. We connected with this organization in California that we, we've already been talking about, the Test Research Foundation. And uh, they connected us to this community, basically, of children and families that are affected by the disorder. You know, Rowan's medical team, throughout this whole thing, they've been amazing, but they'll be the first to admit with something as new and as rare as, as SLC13A5 citrate transporter disorder, you can tell from the name that it's, it's yeah. not especially common. Uh, the real experts are the parents, are the caregivers, so yeah. they've really welcomed the advice that we're bringing uh, from the test community, and they've been, they've been really great about that. I'm talking about the types of medications that Rowan's taking, the types of medications he's been pulled off of that, that we don't think are working as well, uh, the types of physiotherapy he does, all of that is informed by the other families that are affected by this disorder. So uh, it's been, it's been life-changing for us, certainly. Rowan himself, he, you know, he hasn't mm -hmm. had an easy go of it, and the disorder is lifelong, so he'll continue to face delays and challenges in his life. But he is just the happiest two-and-a-half-year-old you can imagine, for sure. Wow, well, thank you for sharing that, talking about genetic testing, how it can support the future of your family, and Michael Black talking about his family, and little Rowan, vice chair of the board at Tess Research Foundation. We all know the answer to my next question. What is your advice for those considering genetic testing? Well, of course, you've, <laughs> Shelley, you've heard it a million times, but... You know, talk to your doctor to see if genetic testing is right for you. But it, you know, it really is true. Like genetic testing for us, uh, personally, I'm not a doctor. Your mileage may vary, but for us, it was it was the key thing that opened the door to better managing Rowan's health. So, you know, that that comprehensive testing, it's important for diagnosing rare diseases. And as here we are in in rare disease month in February. Um, 
you know, it's so important to understand what's in your genes and uh, know your personal health information and as a way of, of really empowering you and empowering your family. All right. Where do you send us for more information? For sure. Well, besides the doctor we, we talked about, um, the other place you can check out is uh, for tests. It's the testresearch.org or uh, invitae.com to find out a bit more about genetic testing and if it's right for you. I-N-V-I-T-A-E.com, invitae.com. Right. Important but spelling for sure. All right, Michael Black, thank you for you and the foundation and your family, including little Rowan. Thank you so much, Shelley. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about my guest. He's competed in over 130 triathlons, sprints, 70.3s, 250 running events from 5Ks to 25Ks. We just set up the credibility for Ron Noel. After 35 years in the commercial insurance and risk management industry and serving as an experienced race director for a couple of decades, he's an author. So welcome to the author world, Ron Noel. Your book, of course, here we discuss. Good morning. Good morning, Shelley. Thanks for having me on. And of course, a book that I'm going to say probably was pretty easy to write. Race Directing from A to Z by you, Ron Noel, triathlon and running race director with those 20 years of experience. So kind of a niche market, but but maybe uh, someone who's wanting this next step in their career. Uh, cool. So 130 triathlons. I bet there are a few more in you. That's my hope. I... Uh... I mean, at my age, they do add up after all the years. Be careful on the age thing. You know, (laughs) age is only a number, but uh, I respect uh, the process for sure. (laughs) Ron Noel, 20 years, uh, of course, uh, in the race directing uh, venue. More, I'm sure, as an athlete and, of course, more than that uh, with a day job to boot. So I'll I'll take a half a step back. How would you get involved in race directing? Well, And I preface this in the uh, introduction of the book. 22 years ago, my good friend had the idea that Grand Haven could be a great venue for a triathlon. And he happened to be the uh, board president at the YMCA, and he put together a committee to determine the feasibility of putting on a triathlon. And for the first couple years, we hired a race director, And then after that, I decided to get certified as a race director. And I went to Boston and took the USA Triathlon Certified Race Director Program. And to get your credentials. Oh, yeah. And uh, after that, I started to be the race director for Grand Haven. And then I picked up the Bear Lake Triathlon and uh, directed a few other events. And then I was hired for some other events. And eventually... Approximately eight years ago, I retired from the insurance industry and went into race directing full-time. Haven't you won a a few awards uh, as a race director? I've been fortunate, uh, and I give the credit to everyone that's helped with my events. Um, Yes, I've been voted best race director in 2019, uh, 2022, and 2023. And, uh, And I've shared that award with John Mosey and John Conkling as well. Tries for health, your brothers in the world. Well, race directing from A to Z. I look forward to see what Z stands for, Ron Knoll. Uh, are we racing more? Uh, 22 years ago, uh, you know, uh, I wasn't doing triathlons. 
No, my the first triathlon, actually, my friend Tim Morrow got me into multi-sport back in uh, 1996, I did the Duck Lake Duathlon, the uh, Hackley Health Duathlon. And after that, I thought, what's the next carrot on the stick to chase? And I thought, okay, let's throw myself into the pool and start swimming, which I thought wouldn't be that difficult, but I got a very quick lesson. And uh, then I got into triathlon. My first triathlon I ever did was in 97 at the Reeds Lake Triathlon. And so we've been doing them ever since. And, of course, doing them and moving into race directing. Let's get into your book, Race Directing from A to Z. Who is your target audience with this? Well, over the years, I'm always approached by nonprofits or individuals or running clubs wanting to put on an event um, anywhere from eight to a dozen times every year. And when I meet with them and when I tell them that the race day execution is the easy part, they look at me like the deer in the headlights. Once I start explaining all the moving parts to an event, you know, build a website, build a registration platform, marketing, pick a date and a venue, who's going to be in charge of the event, the coordinators, how to market the event, um, how to reach out to sponsors, then they realize, oh, wow, this is going to take a lot of work. But it can also be very, very rewarding um, and support uh, whatever beneficiary that they want to support. So it can be very, very beneficial. It is nice to know when a race uh, uh, is uh, presenting proceeds to an organization, and especially uh, when the sponsors uh, are asked, uh, knowing that do- some dollars go to some good charities, like your like your Folds of Honor, uh, uh, Half Marathon, and Full Marathon, your armed services, yes? Yep. Yeah, we're very uh, pleased to be uh, supporting the Folds of Honor group, which a lot of people might not realize began in Grand Haven. It's given us a lot of firsts from Grand Haven. And this, um, obviously, I'm going to get into the details more uh, to see what that Z stands for. This could possibly, if if, if I wanted to put on an event, uh, yes, it, it is race-directing uh, uh, niched, but uh, budgeting, uh, and you know, I mean, uh, determining themes and beneficiaries. Yes, this could carry over. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean... Its primary focus was for running, triathlons, cycling, other endurance events, but it can carry over into other special events because it's pretty much a blueprint for any special event that needs to take place. And uh, my goal was to focus on each specific facet of an event. Um, And that's why each chapter focuses on just one specific topic so that way, when you go through the book, if you have a question about, you know, uh, creating your event website, you can go right straight to that specific chapter. Um, and I tried to make sure we cover all the facets and then thoroughly explain the details and why the details are so important, especially when it comes to uh, securing a sponsor, for example. Well, let, let's follow up on that. Let's put our our attention to uh, specifically what you're what you're presenting. Race directing from A to Z. How important is it? Uh, well, to get sponsors. Well, I've always told uh, individuals and nonprofit groups: if you don't have sponsorship, you will not make money. 
it's that simple. You're not going to uh, make money just from registration revenue alone. Because, yes, you want it is a business. Yes, hopefully there's a, a proceed, but it is a business. It is a business and or it is a nonprofit that's putting on their own event. Um, but what I found in my 30 plus years in the insurance industry, our insurance agency was constantly bombarded by nonprofits or individuals wanting to support a nonprofit or a special event. We would be approached probably three times a week. And that's common with any business that you know, they're bombarded with requests. And so you need to do your due diligence. You can't just send out an email to use a shotgun approach and send out emails to businesses. They won't, the receiver will not even open up the email. I'm old school. I will uh, create a sponsorship booklet in a, uh, hopefully in a nice format. And uh, I will determine what sponsors I want to approach, who is the person I need to speak to, and find out more about their business before I even knock on their door. And then I will cold call on that business, mm -hmm. stop at their door with a booklet and a business card, and ask for that person, knowing I probably won't be able to see that person on my first visit. So then I'll leave my booklet and card and follow up in approximately four to five days uh, with a phone call and then see if I can get an appointment from there. And when I meet with them, and we, I just did this uh, two weeks ago with a sponsor uh, for uh, our event, I discuss with them their specific business. What do they do? What area do they cover? What are their services or their products? And then I start to share our event and how we can integrate their business with our event. I always try to place the importance on the respect and time and value that the sponsor brings and go from there. Again, Ron Noel with us. Race directing from A to Z, your most complete step-by-step -step guide from concept to planning, preparing, execution, to follow-up of your, your running triathlon or other endurance event or event in general. Because uh, one of your chapters, you dedicate the V to volunteering. All events need volunteers. What's your secret to success here? Well, the secret there, um, and maybe it's not so much a secret, is to have a quality volunteer coordinator. I've, I've volunteered at other events, and I've worn the hat of the volunteer coordinator. And it's not easy herding cats especially if you have bad weather on race weekend. Um, and I'm blessed with a great volunteer coordinator, Joni Bennett, and uh, she's very well known in the Tri-Cities community. And so she has access to uh, sources that I might not be aware of, and then she can reach out to them and uh, secure them, and we sh share, you know, we give uh, the volunteers specific information what's necessary. Uh, we, the volunteers is one of the more important uh, facets of an event. Uh, they ensure the safety and the direction of the uh, athletes, and we try to make sure that they are uh, uh, 
definitely respected and well received and thanked and appreciated. Appreciate that. A couple minutes left. Uh, Of course, race execution, chapter 32, the easy part? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's so many facets that need to be put into place first. And if you follow those items, and the last chapter of the book does have a race day uh, 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 chart. The last page has a picture of you. Well, yeah, sorry about that. Um, but the... Uh, the Let's see. Is it closing and conclusion? or No, race directing. Uh, we have an event punch list, right? Oh, Those pages yeah. you're looking at right there. Oh, my gosh. Where we, we, oh, yeah. we itemize all the facets. It kind of gives the uh, the organization a path to follow. And if they follow all those items and do what's necessary, race day should go fairly well. But there's also a chapter in there about uh, contingencies and contingency plans. Like if there's lightning. Lightning, or as you might recall, we had a tree take out. Oh my goodness, that was in the uh, half marathon uh, yep. before it was armed services. Yep, back when it was, it was. Oktoberfest. We had a tree 10 minutes before the start take out a power line and go right across the course. And within 40 minutes, working with consumers and their arborist and the sheriff's deputy, we were able to have the course cleared and the race could still take place. I think I had to switch to a 5K because I had a noon event. But we, di- we digress. Bottom line, do, the, do these events. What is your bottom line with race directing from A to Z, Ron Noll? Bottom line is to, I wanted to create something that would be well-received in the running and triathlon and endurance industry. Um, I'm, as I mentioned before, I'm always approached by people just on a local basis, and I feel this could be a great resource, quite frankly, nationwide uh, for special events. You've given your secrets away. <laughs> well, with most race directors, with quality race directors, we all pretty much know how the sausage is made and uh, the secrets that are involved. Um, and I've been able to help other race directors, quite frankly. They've approached me saying, hey, what can we do to tweak our event, that kind of thing. So hopefully this book will be uh, a good resource for them. Experience matters. It's nice to see an athlete writing a book on four other athletes and, of course, current future race directors to boot. Ron Noll, how do we find out more information? How do we get our copy? Well, the book is currently on Amazon uh, under the title Race Directing from A to Z, or they can also search my name, Ron Knoll, and uh, Amazon has it on their Kindle and paperback format. Uh, It's currently also on Barnes & Noble on their Nook, and they're just finishing up the paperback format. And it's also on Google Play uh, in an e-book format. I do have a Facebook page, uh, Race Directing from A to Z, and I'm working with Laura Caprera with regards to uh, creating the website as well. Uh, yes, I will also be putting together YouTube videos to cover each specific chapter wow. as well. 
I've converted my office, which used to be my daughter's bedroom, uh, into a recording studio for creating YouTube videos. Leave her teddy bear in the corner or something, Dad. There you are. I know you give a great uh, dedication to her. Thank you, Ron Knoll. Uh, We'll continue uh, doing uh, your races and your colleagues' races, and they most likely appreciate your tips in your latest race directing from A to Z. Thank you. Thank you. Your inspiration for the day, according to C, Joy Bell C, don't be afraid of your fears. They're not there to scare you. They're there to let you know that something is worth it. Ooh, let's be scared. It's true. Hope you enjoyed the show. Have a great day. I'm Shelley Irwin.